Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Today, reaction and analysis of the final presidential debate before voting day. The candidates, the moderator, and the state of the race. We've got Eric Bowling of America This Week, very excited to have him here, and Crystal Ball, along with Sagar and Jetty of The Hills, rising to break it all down. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Kelly. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show. Today we have full reaction to last night's presidential debate, the last one before voters head to the polling stations. We're also going to talk about Trump leaking in advance of his 60 Minutes appearance the entire interview with Leslie Stahl. I've got a lot of thoughts on that one. So we'll get to all of that plus our guests in one minute. But first, let's talk about Scoremaster. I love the name Scoremaster. Did you know that the average American has 97 points they can add to their credit score and they have no idea how to get them? Scoremaster is the new credit science that will super boost your credit score. This is a source of stress for a lot of people. Forget raising your credit score just a few points. That's weak. The average Scoremaster user raises their credit score 61 points in 20 days or less. That's a lot, 61 points. So say your credit score was in the high 500s to mid 600s when you bought your new car. If you'd gone to these guys, Scoremaster first, and raised your credit score just the average of 61 points that our listeners get, you could have saved 9000 bucks on your car loan. If you'd gone to Scoremaster before applying for a home loan and raised your score just the average of 61 points that our listeners get, you could have saved almost $100,000 over the life of your loan. It pays for itself. It's amazing. If you, own, if you own a business, you know how essential great credit is. And from getting a loan to funding projects to financing equipment, Scoremaster, if you go to them first, can really help you out. Scoremaster puts you in control of your finances, not the banks. You can enroll in minutes and see how many plus points Scoremaster can add to your credit score. Visit scoremaster.com slash MK, scoremaster.com slash MK. And joining me now is the EP of The Megan Kelly Show, Steve Krakauer, who is not only my EP, but a media critic who's uh, running the the media website or the media uh, newsletter called Fourth Watch, which is actually really w- worth your time and very fair and balanced. Steve, um, last night's debate, I thought, was by far Trump's best debate that I've ever seen him in. He wasn't as fiery as he normally is. And I think some of his viewers, his fans may miss that version of him. <laughs> But he was on point. He was substantive. He was in control. He seemed presidential. He was respectful. He was sort of that version of Trump that the Republicans who were on the fence about him because of his personality had always wished they could have, but, you know, have seen too many rare glances of, too few rare glances of. And I think as a result of all of that and the fact that Joe Biden really wasn't much of a player last night, Trump won and handily. Right. I, I think, you know, it was pretty telling. Van Jones on CNN after the, the debate uh, described it as Donald Trump's best debate ever as well, uh, although he was doing it in the context of how low the bar was for him. Uh, look, I, I, I think that if, if we're going away talking about Donald Trump after this debate and, and, you know, that it was his best debate, clearly, you know, that is that is significant for the race. Now, will it make a difference? I guess we'll see. Uh, but but I think that there is that that sentiment certainly resonated, I, w- I would say, you know, today uh, and on last night night you've you've been trending on Twitter because of your take on the debate um, saying that this that Trump won handily I believe Donald Trump retweeted you as well uh, on that sentiment um look I, I think that this was it, it, compare it to the first presidential debate which I guess is the only one that we could compare it to in this cycle it was 
night and day. I mean, it was just it felt completely different and and certainly significantly better for, you know, really for both candidates, but definitely for Donald well, Trump. Clearly, clearly Trump had received information that his performance in the first debate did not win him any fans amongst the groups he needs to persuade seniors and suburban moms. And, uh, you know, his core supporters love him and they love him really in any form. But he needed to make some inroads with those voters. And clearly he listened. The guy wants to win. Uh, sometimes I've wondered, right, when he tweets out things like when he calls Kamala Harris a monster, I think, does he really want to win? Why <laughs> yeah. did he say that? Like, why go there? Um, but uh, he does want to win. And he had it together last night. I thought it was funny that I trended just for saying he clearly won. He, he won. He was in control and so on. People are so they're so blinded by their Trump derangement syndrome. They really can't see him clearly. And they're so shocked when you offer just objective analysis. Like, yes, I've had my dust ups with Donald Trump. It's not personal. I've got nothing against Trump. I people can't understand it. They, they're they're offended. I'm not offended by him. They're offended. I can see when he does well, you know, at B list actresses like Patricia Arquette and I'm kind with the B grade um, are directing tweeting to me like, have you have you hurt yourself? Have, do you have some sort of a, you know, head head problem. I just have clear eyes on the guy. I right. can see when he falls down and I can see when he does well. And last night he did well. And I actually think it is going to change his poll trajectory. I actually think his polls are, are better than they're showing than they, than they seem. Yeah. But I, I guarantee you, he did himself favors with those two groups last night. Yeah. I mean, well, there, there, that there's, that's the point. There, there's so much cl clarity to, you know, the analysis, right? Like the, there's an objectivity to it. I think if if people can say this was Donald Trump's best debate ever, but oh, you know, it's such a it's, it's we're we're talking about uh, you know such a low bar and like you can't step back and say if this was his best debate ever, this is clearly going to help him. There, there's no ability now with the uh, you know hashtag resistance media or even you know certainly on Twitter to be able to do that. You know, it's like what were the takeaways from last night's debate? It feels to me like it was Biden checking his watch and it was who built the cages, Joe. And those are both mm -hmm. bad for Joe Biden. So I, I, I don't know. I think it's actually my, my own view is it's going to be um, oil and yeah, amnesty. Well, yeah. I mean, it's basically like, yes, I'm closing down the oil industry, which Joe Biden said in a moment where he clearly had just gotten tired and I guess decided to give up the the, the gig. You're like, yeah, you know, I, I'm going to close down oil. And I, within 100 days, I'm going to I'm going to impl implement amnesty. But we'll get to that in a minute. I want to talk more about the process last night because I thought, you know, Kristen Welker did a fine job. She was from NBC and I, I thought she did well. Um, I do think I have to say it was it was biased. I mean, I just think the topic selection from these moderators tends to lean left. And if you look at the actual numbers, she corrected Donald Trump all the time. She almost never corrected Don uh, Joe Biden. She had 13 follow ups to Trump, six to Biden. She interrupted Donald Trump 41 times, eight times for Joe Biden. Like, that's the kind of stuff that will drive Republicans nuts. And I felt it a little myself just because whenever Trump would get on a roll, she'd jump in. That's how it felt. Like whenever he started to really let her loose right. or start hammering Biden on a point, it felt like she stepped in to save Biden. Having said all that, I still give her a thumbs up. It's hard to be out there and make sure it's perfectly even. Uh, but I understand the claims of bias that some are leveling. Yeah, I'm not sure you're going to get much better. You talk about low bar with the uh, you know the any of 
legacy media outlets like an NBC, CBS, uh, ABC uh, for a moderator at this point when it comes to Donald Trump four years in. Uh, I, I thought you did a pretty good job as well. I, I see exactly what you're saying. But, you know, you compare that to, say, some of the other experiences like for example, a, a, a 60 minutes of raw footage that we saw, I, I think that there was it was it was at least approaching fairness in, in ways that we don't normally see with some of the media interviews. that Donald I Trump agree. Does. And she she was a pro. You know, she was composed. She was in control. She was a pleasure to listen to. You know, it was like contrast that to the town hall that Savannah did with Trump, where right. she sounded kind of whiny. She sounded kind of like not a little like teenager at times and was not projecting authority, which I think matters. I think especially it matters for a female moderator, to be honest. But anyway, I thought overall she did well and um, you know, a couple things she could work on before the next time. But I hope there is next time for her because I, I thought as the options go, she was a great one. Um, let's talk about the 60 Minutes thing because yeah. Trump is going on 60 Minutes this Sunday and he he decided to tape his own appearance with an iPhone prior to the the show and decided to release the entire 37 minute interview with Leslie Stahl, which was fascinating. I, I couldn't believe, like I watched it and I have to tell you, I, I couldn't believe how Leslie Stahl conducted herself as a journalist who only sees the end product of Leslie Stahl on 60 minutes. I thought she was going to be so much more composed. She sounded like a whiny, petulant, unprepared, like newbie reporter in the tape. I And my number one take, with all due respect to this woman, was the producers at 60 Minutes are so much better than I thought they are. <laughs> right. Right. Because they're yeah. the ones responsible for making her look good in the end product. Exactly. Yeah. We've got a 37 minute uh, interview that was, you know, the raw footage that was dropped on Trump's Facebook page. 12, 15 minutes, we'll see the light of day on Sunday night. Uh, so yeah, I think there's a lot of process that goes into the editing. I, I think what you said about unprepared was completely my takeaway as well. I, you know, Because Trump dropped it and said, oh, look at the bias and hatred of Leslie Stahl. I didn't really necessarily see hatred in it. What I saw was someone who came in, was not really interested in substantive questions and was not certainly prepared to have a substantive exchange back and forth. Uh, there were times that Trump was trying to contextualize things like the coronavirus crisis. Okay, well, if you look at it this way, all she wanted to say was the numbers are up. Can, she actually said, can you just say the numbers are up? I mean, it's like, yes. what, what? that's not an interview tactic. That, that's not someone who comes in who has a real handle of of the topics that they're that they're approaching. I know. And really what he was trying to say is the the numbers of, you know, we're testing more and therefore, of course, you're going to have higher numbers. That's what he's trying to say. But she just wanted to get her soundbite. Right. And the, the exchange she had with him over masks, like it was so frustrating to me because she was so whiny about it. Like, but you why don't you tell the, the crowds to wear the masks? <laughs> They'll listen to you. you. You're very powerful. Why don't you tell them to wear the mask? And Trump just kept saying, some wear the masks, some wear the masks. Right. And uh, you wanted him to say, Leslie, I'm not their daddy. <laughs> they understand that masks are supposed to help prevent the, this, the virus. People are individuals. And they have the ability to make their own decisions. And I am not the mask enforcer in chief. She was so whiny about it. I was like, oh, my God, you sound like like my toddler yeah. uh, used to. The, the whole thing about the how 
honestly, it just came across like she was looking down on the supporters of Donald Trump also. I mean, she actually got fact-checked by Newsweek already as a mostly false statement about what she was going, about how Trump was encouraging his supporters to chant lock her up about Gretchen Whitmer, which is completely not true. Um, That was called out on that. It's, It's a bad sign when before the interview airs, media outlets are fact checking you as the interviewer. So. Yeah, right. Well, there was there were a couple moments that jumped out to me where he says about Biden, he's in the middle of a scandal right now. And she says, no, he's not. And I thought, OK, this is so meta because the reason if he's if Biden's not in the middle of a scandal right now, it's because of reporters like Leslie Stahl who refuse to cover what has broken about Joe and Hunter Biden over the past week, the media's complete blackout of the story, which, of course, they never would have done if this had been a Trump story. And so she dismisses it right out of hand as, no, it's a nothing. And the second point was 60 released a promo clip of their interview where he says, I created prior to COVID the greatest economy the country's ever seen. And she says, you know, that's not true. <laughs> And that's how they phrase it. Like, there she is, like correcting Trump on his lies. And then you see the raw. And it was embarrassing for her. It has him saying it created the greatest economy. Her saying, you know, that's not true. Trump then doubles down and says it is true and starts to rattle off a couple of stats. And then she says, "Uh, well, uh, I'm not going to fact check you right now. (laughs) But but she had tried. She had tried to fact check him, check him. And when he wouldn't back down, she didn't have her facts. She was unable to do it. And she looked bad. Right. It was it was a stylistic fact check and not a substantive fact check. It was like, you know, it's not true. Everyone knows. OK, let's move on. Uh, yeah, it's even the, the Hunter Biden stuff when he she goes, you, that can't be verified. And he goes, well, why not? And she goes, because it can't be verified. It's like that's your that's your story that's your right. line that's is that the only thing that you have written down here is I can't be verified right it, it was it was just empty calories she wanted to sound tough for the 60 minutes exchange that we're going to see on Sunday but didn't have her facts she couldn't actually make the case clearly Leslie Stahl was waiting for the producers of 60 minutes to give her facts that she could then track in the anchor booth for the final right. piece so she would sound like she knew what she was talking about but it boy did the mass come down when you saw the actual back and forth. It was like a single tear for me because you know she's been a, a strong journalist, but when you we see what really goes on, I don't, it didn't make me feel good. Um, yeah. Okay, wait, I have to ask you something. Okay. Um, on the subject of there's there's no scandal, and because we just can't verify in any of the laptop contents, you know, this is the Hunter Biden scandal. NPR is under fire today by some, some on the right, because a, a reader or a listener of NPR wrote in and said, why aren't you guys covering this? Like what? You're a news organization. Why aren't you covering this? And they responded online saying, because, quote, we don't want to waste our time on stories that are not really stories, that are pure distractions. And the assertions here just don't amount to much. Now, this is a this is a taxpayer funded news organization that has explicitly said here, this is a waste of time. It's not a story. It's a distraction and it doesn't amount to much. This is the same news organization that covered the Steele dossier, you know, about Trump and the alleged P tape with glee, with drool. They were so excited over it. And I think it's just another example of why people don't trust the 
the media, and are just disgusted by their obvious bias when it comes to covering a, a Republican versus a Dem. Yeah, I mean, I I think the explanation is so much worse than you know. It's it's like this dropping the curtain of the sixty minutes raw tape. I mean, it the there's one thing to not cover the story. I, I will say, David Fulkenflik, the media reporter, about six days ago, did cover the New York Post coverage of the story. Um, so it's not that they can't touch it, but it's we, we don't want to waste our time, waste our time, or the listener and reader's time. the The implication, as you as you make clear, is that this is not you know, it's not worth our time. It's beneath us. It's it's beneath you. It's beneath our listenership. It's it's just so revealing. And it really is such a, you know, it just backfires on on the media in general and just really clarifies the the, the way things stand as we, you know, as we're in 2020 right now. Mm-hmm. I know. And, and, and David Fulkenflick, when he covered it, was basically covering it to say, this seems like it, it smells really bad. And the New York Post didn't have its sourcing, you know, lined up. It's like, how about some actual efforts to report the news? Right. And I will give Kristen Welker credit for raising the issue. Last night, there was a question whether she was going to raise the Hunter Biden laptop allegations at all. She did. She only spent 30 seconds on it, which, again, if this had been a Trump scandal, you, you can bet it would have it would have looked more like 30 minutes, right. not 30 <laughs> seconds. Uh, but Trump did his best to keep hammering it. I mean, I will say that it got a fair amount of mentions, at least wasn't really set up for the audience because I think, you know, my my imaginary viewer, Madge, in Iowa was like, what? Huh? Especially because it hasn't been covered anywhere. So people don't all, you know, people are living their lives. They're not like watching it the way we are. So anyway, it wasn't really set up well, but Trump did his best to raise it over and over and over. Yeah. And I know we're going to go more on the, uh, I think there's a lot of Googling going on. I know you're going to talk more with uh, with Eric Bowling shortly, but before we get to Eric, we've got Pure Talk. Okay. Yes, we've got we've got to pay a bill. Um, okay. So, who's your wireless provider? Do you know? AT and T, Verizon, T Mobile. What if I told you you could be saving over four hundred bucks a year without having to sacrifice your service or any coverage? Pure Talk is on the exact same network as one of those big carriers, giving you the same bars, the same service, but for half the price. This is like this is amazing. What a deal! How do they do it? Well, they don't play the same games as the big carriers who sell you unlimited data that you don't need, right? You're, you're paying for something you don't need. Pure Talk will give you unlimited talk, text, and two gigs of data, all for just 20 bucks a month. One Hamilton. And their customer service is right here in the U.S. No, Hamilton, it's two Hamiltons. He's on the 10. <laughs> and their customer service is right here in the U.S., and it's second to none. Just take a look at Consumer Affairs. Pure Talk is the number one rated wireless company. That's amazing. Their CEO is a U.S. veteran. We love that, who understands what it means to serve his country. So go ahead and make the switch. It'll be the easiest decision you make all day. Get unlimited talk, text, plus two gigs of data, all for just 20 bucks a month. From your cell phone, dial pound 250 and say, Megan Kelly. And then you will save an additional 50% off your first month. That's awesome. Then it only will be one Hamilton to you. That's pound 250 and then say, Megan Kelly. <laughs> Pure talk, simply smarter wireless. And joining us now, my pal, Eric Bowling, host of America This Week. Eric, it's so great to have you here. Thanks for joining me. Megan, I'm so proud of you. I just looked at the top 10 podcasts in America and you're, you've moved your way up. You're approaching the top five. You're number seven. Amazing. Congratulations. Highly oh. successful podcast. We knew it was going to happen. Thank you, my dear. You are so sweet and so generous as always. Um, okay, so I'm very happy to have you here on 
on this day of all days. What did you think? I thought we saw a different Trump last night. I thought it was like if if that Trump had been at debate number one and if there had been a debate number two with that guy, I think even these polls, which I do think are biased against him, would be would be even higher than, than they've been. I think he really did manage to change his trajectory last night. He did a terrific job. And, and I am going to give credit to his debate prep team who realized that the first time they probably let him go. And and that really worked in 2016, because remember, we were all like, how's Trump going to be? And he was he was he wasn't a politician. So he was just kind of a, a bull in a china shop, so to speak. And, and, and America is waiting for something different other than a polished swamp rat politician. And he was that. Now he's got four years under his belt and they now realize with what's going on in the streets with with the racial tension going on in the streets with the pandemic the COVID going on they need a leader and last night i think his debate team said you know that what worked in 2016 won't work this time didn't work at first time in the first now debate you have to act and they toned and they toned him down and the issues Who, i'm who's telling on the you team? megan who is it because like last well, i heard it, half the team had covid it, and disbanded chris christie was in the icu for seven like who actually was yeah. prepping him this See, time? still they're still there it's the same group and and it's christy it's, it's Giuliani, kellyanne okay. stepian's there hope hicks is there hope is is hope has been there since the day he came down the escalator he's she's kind of a um not many people pay a lot of attention to Hope, but she's she's one of those really important people to his to his election and his reelection. Also, let me I, tell you I, what I, I like about Hope Hicks. She's like this incredibly smart, incredibly beautiful, incredibly poised person who never seeks the spotlight. That is very yeah. rare, right? Usually, no, you've got all those no, no, gifts. No, like, seek it. Maybe a little spotlight would be okay, but she, not only she doesn't is, seek it, Megan, she. She pushes away from it. When she first said, you know, after three years with 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 the Trump with the campaign and then and Trump, she wanted to go explore some other avenues. I really pushed to to bring her on the show, even to bring her to become part of a show. She wanted nothing to do in front of no, the camera. She doesn't I want know. the spotlight. I'll, whenever at I look all. at Hope Hicks, I'm like, if I looked like that, I would I would do everything in my power to be on camera as much as possible. But <laughs> she's she's built well, differently. So anyway, okay, he, he's lucky to have her. Is the bottom line. So he comes out last yeah. night. He's he's I think speaking more to the seniors and the soccer moms who he needs to get on board. But what did you think on substance was the biggest takeaway from last he night? He killed it. I, I think there were a couple of things. Number one. Trump did very well, and, and there were a couple of moments. Number one, when he when he put Biden in the corner and said, "Talk to me about fracking," Joe Biden fell apart at that moment. I, and I think this is this is the the election just turned in favor of President Trump because of what his comment was, his answer to Trump and about fracking me, in the oil. Forgive industry. me for interrupting yeah. you, for, but like yeah. this is your business. This is how you made your real yeah. money, um, not, not yeah. in television. Yeah. But well, um, yeah. can you just give us a line explaining fracking? and why it's important yeah. as an electoral matter. So m- 9 million jobs are in the oil industry in America. And, and the old oil industry was purely drilling into the ground, pulling oil out of the ground, refining and put gas in your car. What's evolved over the last 15, 20 years or so, we've moved away from that dirty business, that dirty fuel. It, there's a lot of uh, emissions that happened in the whole process. Plus, we're drilling into the ground. Fracking pulls gas out of the ground with one one drill usually into the ground. Sometimes it's a couple, but it's a very clean burning fuel. And we've taken a, 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 a dirty industry and cleaned it up massively with, with gas fracking. We're turning gas into power in the form of gasoline and the form of electricity. So fracking has cleaned up the oil industry. Nine million, Megan, not only nine million jobs in America, nine million very high paying jobs in America. And Joe Biden last night when pushed into the corner said, 
I'm going to eliminate the fossil fuel industry, which includes fracking. And then Trump very wisely said, Joe, where are you on fracking? And Joe said, I'm not against fracking. So now he's contradicted his own comment with the prior line, but also lied because there's countless opportunities on tape of Joe Biden saying he's against fracking. There will be no more fracking. Last night, Joe said, I'm not against fracking. So you're in Pennsylvania, Ohio, Texas, some of the other Midwestern states are heavily, heavily uh, reliant on the oil industry and fracking. You go, wait a minute, this is the next president. He wants to eliminate the industry. I put the food on my table because I'm part of, I think, I think he lost Pennsylvania last night with, with that comment. And that will that, be the difference I mean, in the election. This is like what they talk about when they go. And I confess, I don't totally understand fracking. I understand it's it's a means of extracting energy in a new way, but and, and that it's important to a lot of Americans as an industry. But uh, it was the first I ever heard Joe Biden go so far. And I thought, is he tired? Why would he? So here's a soundbite of, of him. Trump's pressing him on whether he plans to close down the oil industry. So let's just listen. False. Would you close down the oil industry? I would transition from the oil industry. Yes. Oh, I will that's transition. It is a big statement That's a because big statement. I would stop. Why would you do that? Because the oil industry pollutes significantly. Oh, I see. And here's the deal. But That's you can't a big do statement. That. Well, if you let me finish the statement, because it has to be replaced by renewable energy. And over then, he, time. And then yeah. he goes on to say, That's Trump goes on to say, Ohio, Pennsylvania, are you listening? Please listen. Yeah. 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 And, and, and again, swing, swing states of, of Pennsylvania. I, I honestly, if, if Trump wins Pennsylvania, it's, it's over. Um, I think the people in Pennsylvania would be looking at here's fracking in, in a nutshell, Megan, instead of drilling down miles into the into the Earth's crust to, to locate pockets of oil, the physical oil, the slippery stuff, crude oil. We we can drill a lot lower, a lot cheaper, a lot uh, shallower drills, and they're a lot less invasive to the environment. And the fuel that comes out is a gas. It's a natural gas rather than an oil. And when you when you refine the natural gas into power, it doesn't spew a lot of emissions into the atmosphere. So the the, the move, it, natural gas is a much clean, much more clean burning fuel than crude oil is. So we're we're cleaning that, and, and, and the process is on the way. The problem is the left and Biden want to do this. In, at one point, Biden said by 2025. I think he made a mistake. He meant to say 35, but he said 25. Whatever it is, they want to do it quickly. America and the world will move towards a cleaner burning fuel, maybe no no fossil fuels whatsoever in time. When the economy says it's time to do it, when the markets are ripe for it, we're not there. So if you immediately disrupt that industry, 9 million high-paying jobs, just the jobs, can you imagine the economic activities surrounding those jobs? All those people who have those high-paying jobs spend money going to movies, going to restaurants, going on, on trips, have to buy a lot of goods. The the economic impact to eliminating the oil industry rapidly is a massive, massive risk to the economy. Massive risk, and they they don't get it. They just don't understand that. The and now today, they're, they're, his campaign's already trying to walk it back, saying, "Oh, he misspoke," but you know, he's he was pretty explicit on camera last night about declaring war on oil, and you know, yeah. his comments on fracking, as you point out, have been well documented. Can I ask you about about immigration because? He said explicitly, within 100 days, I'm going to send to the U.S. Congress a pathway to citizenship for over 11 million undocumented citizens. And um, I mean, I thought Trump was going to start hitting him on amnesty, but instead he kind of came at him from the left. And, you know, why didn't you achieve it when you were vice president? And I think that, the that, that of is... the world were like, what? <laughs> but yeah. but the but the Biden statement, you know, as a standalone, 
I, I that was the farthest left I'd heard him go on amnesty for all the illegal immigrants in the country, undocumented. Well, but what, in other words, we need 11 million more Democrat votes is basically what he's saying. And, and, and you know, th- those tricks, those packing the court tricks or getting D- uh, state status for D.C. or Puerto Rico, those are all and, and also allowing amnesty for illegals, 11 million illegals and a, a pathway to citizenship, which gives them a vote. These are all ways in, in, that the left is trying to, to, to stack the deck for future elections. And frankly, if any one of those were to happen, this would probably be the last. If, if Biden wins and does this, you'll probably never see another Republican president in, in certainly in our lifetimes and maybe ever, because then it's such a fine. Look what happened in 2016. President Trump won the Electoral College, but he lost the popular vote by 3 million votes. That means 3 million more people voted for Hillary Clinton than him. If you add 11 million in, in, in undocumented or illegals who become citizens or states in Puerto Rico or D.C., those were highly, highly dense Democrat populations. You'll, it, it, it's, it's almost a, a foregone conclusion that you'll have a Democrat president going for. You probably will have all three branches, uh, Democrats going for Senate, House and president. Now, so what? It, let me ask you quickly about the COVID response because Joe Biden came out and I thought, you know, forcefully and seriously said Trump is responsible for the two hundred twenty thousand people who have died in this country. It was a somber moment. That's the word, the word I'm looking for. It was a somber, serious accusation. And I, my response to it was, I understand what he's saying that the Democrats want to blame COVID and all the fatalities on Trump. I have yet to hear them really under explain like what exactly Trump didn't do, you know, because it's a virus. It's it's Trump's got a lot of powers, but preventing the virus from coming into the United States, sadly, is not among them. Now, yes. Could he have been more straightforward with us? Yes, clearly, because he admitted that to Woodward, you know, that he wasn't telling it to us straight when he knew how bad it was. But I just I did wonder whether the average American sitting at home is actually going to blame Trump for that. And his response last night was, I do take responsibility, but it's not my fault. It's China's fault. What did you make of it? Yeah. Well, I, 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 think, I think Trump misses the mark on some of this stuff. In fact, I had a town hall with him on Tuesday of this week, and I gave him that opportunity. I said, if you had a mulligan, if you had a do-over on one thing, anything surrounding your COVID response, what would it be? And he's, his answer was not much. And, and I think there's an opportunity to say, you know what? I, I, it's not my fault. I can't. There's no way I could have stopped China from spreading a virus. We tried to stop them. I did everything in my power, but I could have taken it more seriously. I could have looked at some of the things that the, the doctors were telling me and, and, and maybe. And, but the problem is he doesn't like to do that. President Trump doesn't like to admit to doing anything wrong ever. Um, some people find that charming. Some people say he needs to show a little bit of empathy. So I think there's a better answer to that. Uh, look, we got 12 days left, so I doubt that that's going to change yeah, very much. This is the answer. But, but he, but he does. He uh, he he did have the opportunity, especially after he got COVID himself, to say, "Look, it kicked my butt." You know, I didn't, I didn't, didn't thank you. I thought it was kind of like the the flu, um, and it's not the flu. It's it's worse. It's it's a, it's a real problem here, and I didn't see it. And you know what? Going forward, I, I, I'll take this a lot more seriously and, and let's move on. Let's, let's save some lives. It's tough for him to know because his adversaries and frankly, you know, the, the sort of far left in general, they're constantly demanding that not only he, but most Republicans apologize on any day ending in Y for everything. So it's yeah. like, is this is this another attempt just to get him to kneel at the altar of wokeness and leftist leftism? Or is this a legitimate thing he needs to apologize for? 
And I think Trump, you know, his just instincts are not to do it. Okay, let's talk about Hunter Biden, the media story or the story that's been completely blocked out by the media. It's starting to get a little bit more traction. Fox News is on it now. The Journal's on it now more. um, And and the reporting's just getting a little bit uh, wider. What we learned yesterday is there's two things just for the audience. He's Hunter Biden is Joe Biden's son. He was basically grafting off of his dad's name by getting paid 50,000 bucks a month by this Ukrainian gas company, Burisma, um, even though the guy had no gas expertise whatsoever. And now we find out he was trying to strike some deal in China that would have given him millions of bucks potentially. And there was a reference in some of his emails to, hey, you know, maybe maybe I'll I'll, I'll save 10% back from what you pay me for, quote, the big guy. And now a partner in that attempted venture in China has come out. The guy's name is Tony Bobolinsky. He's come out and said that did mean 10% for Joe Biden. And Joe Biden's not telling the truth when he says he never dealt with his son Hunter on these foreign deals, which is something the campaign continues to maintain. And these guys are not being up, up front about their attempts to use the Biden family name to earn money, um, spread influence. And it's stuff we need to know if this guy's going to be the next president of the United States. And before I get you to react, Eric, let me just play a soundbite because Trump brought Tony Bobolinsky to the debate last night. This is a guy who served as a lieutenant in the Navy, had a high security clearance, comes out and says, I'm not political. I've only made a few donations in my life. If I have, they've all been to Democrats. This is about, you know, I like Democrats, but what they're saying about Joe Biden not having anything to do with any of Hunter's dealings isn't true. Here, listen. I've heard Joe Biden say that he's never discussed business with Hunter. That is false. I have firsthand knowledge about this because I directly dealt with the Biden family, including Joe Biden. I have also heard that Vice President Biden said on Tuesday that Senator Ron Johnson, the chair of the Senate Homeland Security Committee, should be ashamed for suggesting that Biden family sought to profit from their name. Well, here are the facts I know, and everything I'm saying is corroborated by emails, WhatsApp chats, agreements, documents, and other evidence. And the American people can judge for themselves. So that's, you know, somebody who was in on that proposed China deal directly saying this was a family operation. Joe knew about it. And I mean, my question to you, Eric, is, is that going to be enough to get the media to show some interest in figuring out what happened between the Bidens and Burisma and the Bidens and this Chinese energy company? Probably not, because the media is in, I want to say in the tank, the media leans left hard. And as as we know, we've been around this this long enough. So it's just atrocious, crazy, in fact, that that, that this is a story. Look, it's not about Hunter Biden. He has his demons. God knows I'm no one to call out anyone with a son with, with, with things going on. But it's is about how he tied the vice president to all these deals. He clearly made a ton of money because he was son of the vice president. And there's enough ties. We don't have to, to tie them together any more than they're already there. But it's a problem that, that Joe Biden, the more in the problem, he's denying it. And that's not even a real big problem because there's enough plausible deniability in it because there is no actual email or conversation of Joe Biden with anyone at Burisma. So he can go ahead and say, look, 
I, I go ahead, go for it, check it out. I did nothing wrong. But the problem is the media is covering for Biden. They won't let that investigation happen. They won't let the American people decide if they still want to vote for the guy, given what is going on. My guess is it didn't it wouldn't have changed what two or three percent of the vote or less. I don't think it would. Have, but the fact that the media covered up is is a, is problematic and may actually get more de- uh, Republicans to come out and vote because the media was covering. But the other question, Megan, that the, the sixty four thousand, the, the big question, the elephant in the room is where the hell has the FBI been on this? They've had this information for a year. They had the FBI and Christopher Ray has have been sitting on this information even prior to the Democrats impeaching President Trump for exactly this for asking just, the Ukrainians to, to look just into to the Biden the audience. Family. What you're talking about. So just quickly, um, what happened was there's this guy who runs a computer repair shop in Delaware who says Hunter Biden dropped off this laptop a, a long time ago and that he never came to reclaim it. And the guy finally took a look at it under his policies. It becomes the store owner's laptop after 90 days. And he took a look at it. and It's got all these correspondence on it with Hunter and, and this, you know, the Ukrainians and the and the Chinese. And it references the vice president. And it's got a lot of other very deeply troubling things with Hunter on camera as a personal matter. And uh, he contacts the FBI and they get they got the laptop in December of 19. So yeah. that's that's your point. Yeah. Like we're almost a year yeah. later. The, the only reason we know about it is because the guy after several months got kind of scared and said, I don't know what's going to happen here. No. I don't know what's going to happen to me. And he contacted Rudy, Rudy Giuliani's attorney because he just said, this, yeah. this is somebody who will get it out. So I, I'm protected. I, it's just it's it's crazy, you know, spy show kind of stuff. But doesn't mean it's not true. And just just by one, way of one example on the media, um, one of the allegations is that, that that we gleaned from these laptop emails from Hunter is that he introduced Burisma's number three guy to the then sitting vice president, Joe Biden, that they met and that within a year of that meeting, Joe Biden made sure the Ukrainians fired the prosecutor who was looking into Burisma for possible corruption. Mm -hmm. That's the allegation. Then we get the Biden campaign on Fox News Sunday. They say it's not true. There was never such a meeting. It never happened. Then uh, in a follow up statement, I guess Politico, which actually did to its credit inquire, they get them to say, well, maybe there was an informal interaction. <laughs> it's like if the media would just dig that we could get to the bottom of this. I would like to know if Joe Biden met with the number three Burisma guy a year before he made sure Burisma didn't get prosecuted. You know, like that is relevant. That's relevant to corruption, pay to play, the way Washington dirty politics work. We're not going to get to all, we got two, We got two weeks all, to go. All likely, uh, but not not necessarily um, enough to to indict. But the point is, the media covered up for this whole thing. And more importantly, you know, people were saying deep state, you know, the FBI, people within the administration, the intel community hated Trump and was trying to get him out. If the FBI had this, this information prior to the impeachment on Russia and, and they could have opened that up, they could have given that to the Senate uh, Judiciary Committee and let them know about that. And likely None of this would have happened. We would have saved the taxpayer $50 million, the Trump family a lot of heartache, and we could have moved on, maybe even given the media an opportunity to vet what Joe Biden's role in Burisma and in Hunter Biden's massive amount of uh, liquidity in, you know, I'll, liquidity, I'll tell you this. unearned liquidity is all about. If if Joe Biden wins this race, and I know he said that he won't be involving his son Hunter in any, you know, anything, 
That better be true. Hunter Biden can't be anywhere near the White House, anywhere near it. This guy's got enough yeah. shady business dealings in his past that 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 would absolutely have to be assured. Yep. OK, let me ask you about the polls before I let you go, because I keep looking at them. Um, I only look at the swing state polls. The national polls are meaningless. And what I see is in states like Florida, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, North Carolina and Ohio, Hillary Clinton at this point in 16 was up more than Joe Biden is right now. And so that just is a constant asterisk in my mind to be careful before you declare Trump done based on what's usually the sweeping national lead that he holds in these national polls. But realistically, Eric, understanding you want Trump to win, realistically, what's your take on the state of the race? So, uh, and again, uh, it's the same thing in 2016. Uh, uh, here's what happens, Megan, is, is uh, you, you walk around, people whisper to me because they know I'm a, a, a Trump. Uh, I prefer President Trump than Hillary, and I prefer tr President Trump. And by they'll say, you know, I'm going to vote for Joe. But I'm, I'm going to vote for President Trump. And they'll whisper in my ear like, OK, we'll say it. So the media has created this and the left has created this this world where if you say you like Trump, you're a xenophobe, you're a racist. You're a sexist. You you, you know you like uh, people who do bad things to women, and, and so it's an, almost an embarrassment to say it in public. So what do you think happens when you someone that you don't know who's calling CNN poll or even Fox News, whoever, and they say who are you going to vote for? Well, people totally either decline or they're going to say Joe Biden instead of saying I'm going to vote for proudly I'm going to vote for Donald Trump. Same thing happened in 2016. They made it so embarrassing to say you're pro Trump. No one wanted to admit it. And so the polls are always going to skew that way, besides the fact that of the methodology of polling, which means how many Democrats you poll versus Republicans, it's always skewed to the Democrats. Besides that, that's that that's something we, we know and live with. It's that that other secret factor that no one really talks about. Now, I'll never forget being at Fox in 2016 and mm -hmm. doing daily, daily doing the the path to 270 electoral votes to become president with the brain room outside of my office every single day telling me he's got no path and me telling him, oh, yes, he does. Uh, I'll never forget those days. Um, it, I, it feels the same to me right now. It feels like we're you're going to see. I don't think it's going to be a landslide, but I think President Trump prevails uh, uh, in, the, in 12 days. What's your what percentage chance would you put it at? You know, 50, 50, 60, 40. What, what would you? Put yeah, I, 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 when he got COVID, I would have said it was probably uh, 60, 40 against because I think that was a surprise, a shock, the October surprise. But I think now in, in, in the fact he bounced back so so rapidly, some of the things that are there come out that have come out in the last couple of weeks, I would I would say it's 60, 40 in his favor. Before I let you go, how are you? I miss you. I miss you too, Megan. Um, I will just, I'm going to, I'm going to leave your wonderful audience and you on this note that uh, my wife and I have clearly had the, the worst heart, heartache tragedy that any human being in humanity could experience. And, and Megan Kelly, you guys, Megan Kelly was there uh, talking to me, holding me up and propping my wife and I up and uh, from day one, from day one through now. And, and I'll never forget that. Megan, I so appreciate you. Oh, Eric, I mean, the, the fact that you mentioned me I'm talking about the death of your son, which was so wrong and so sad. I will say watching the way you guys handled that, stayed together, stayed strong. I, I, mean, I have chills just thinking about it was an example in strength, grace under fire, 
just refusing to stay lying down, which Eric Chase would never have wanted for you, never have wanted for Mm. you to just give up, throw in the towel and, you know, sit on your couch for the next 40 years. I, I, I know I can say firsthand that you are a beautiful man and you are an amazing dad. And I'm sure he's looking at you from above with all the work you're doing on the town halls, on the opioid crisis and thinking, I'm proud. Mm. Megan, um, it's every day. It's a, it's a, it's a struggle. It's a, it's an accomplishment to make it through. And it's friends like you, um, who absolutely are the reason I'm able to do that. Thank you. Thank you. To be continued. I hope to speak to you again. Absolutely. In one minute, we're going to be joined by Crystal Ball and Sagar and Jetty of The Hills Rising, which is a great show. It's very fair. If you haven't checked out, uh, you should. But first, before we get to that, I want to tell you about POM Industries. POM stands for Peace of Mind. And this is about self-protection. They offer the next generation of pepper spray that is there for you when you need it. The design is intuitive. It's easy to use. It's a great self-defense product. It's discreet. It's attractive, which is nice. And they've basically created the most up-to-date, simple, safe, and powerful self-defense product you can get. They believe that the face of self-defense in America should not be daunting. And so their product and their philosophy represents an emphasis on you, empowered to live your life with peace of mind appropriately. They offer the strongest and safest formulation legal to carry in all 50 states. The thing is pressurized to provide a maximum distance of up to 12 feet and 12 seconds of continuous spray, the most compact one half of an ounce personal carrying unit available in the market. I like that, right? Because you don't want something that's too cumbersome. You can get it in a clip form for your key ring to snap around a lanyard, 30 different design color combinations, patented flip top technology to prevent an accidental misfire. And this thing is available for purchase at palmpepperspray.com, at amazon.com, selected gun shops, pharmacies, retail stores throughout the country. Highly recommend it. It's great. And it personally makes me feel a lot better walking around the streets of New York. Palm Industries, a great form of pepper spray and protection. Okay. Before we get to our guests, I want to talk to you about our latest feature, which is you can't say that right? You know what's happening in our country. You can't say that. You can't think that. You can't be that. Oh, wait, this is America. That's how I respond. Uh, There's a gal named Catherine Lauer, and she's at University of Kansas. You know how it is. You go off to college, you join a sorority, you want to make friends. It's a good way of sort of short forming all the, I don't know, all the effort it takes to to find a posse. Well, poor Catherine might, might have wanted to keep looking. She has been placed on probation by the Kappa Alpha Theta sorority there for showing unbecoming values. What did she do? Did she punch somebody out in a fight? Did she bully somebody? Um, no. She likes Trump, apparently. Maybe. I don't know. She has posted something critical of Black Lives Matter and that repeated something Candace Owens said. So she's in trouble. In fact, she has been placed on probation. Okay, so what did she post? Number one, she posted some pro-life um Thoughts, which apparently is not okay for Kappa Alpha Theta. They think that's hurtful, I guess. Um, and they didn't like her post on Black Lives Matter, which she she retweeted a Candace Owens post saying, and I quote, Black Lives Matter is an organization of white men using the faces of dead black people to raise millions of dollars toward electing white Democrats into positions of power. She also added, how Owens did, that it's the most flagrantly racist organization in America. Now, There's no question Candace Owens presses buttons and is controversial, but that's her opinion. 
And it may indeed be the opinion of Catherine Lauer. We don't know. All we know is she reposted it. Um, That's apparently not okay. She's been told she must take a social media posting holiday, do a personal reflection and cleanse. What does that even mean? You know, like, like I know about like the cayenne pepper drink you have to drink when you want to lose 10 pounds. What, what happens when you want to lose your affinity for Candace Owens? I don't know what that cleanse looks like, uh, but I find that offensive that they're trying to cleanse her mind of thoughts they find obnoxious. She also had to watch a video selected by the sorority's diversity, equity and inclusion committee because, you know, they're, they're all about diversity and inclusion unless it's a diversity of thought. Uh, and they want her to have a dialogue with the sorority's COO about getting a broader education of America today because she was, quote, hurtful. So Lauer tried to appeal. She failed. They told her no. Uh, she actually says she's, she supports the idea behind Black Lives Matter, but she doesn't agree with where its money is going. And um, when asked whether she has any knowledge of others in the sorority being punished for their social media posts, guess what? No, she hasn't heard of anybody being punish, punished, despite many postings that are very aggressive um, in, in terms of taking down Trump. They're aggressively anti-Trump. To me, this is so upsetting because diversity of opinion is what makes this country great, even if you're offended by the opinions you hear. That's what makes America special. You're allowed to say offensive things. And the answer, if you don't like somebody saying something, if you find their speech offensive, is not less speech, it's more speech. There's an old George Orwell quote that that it, that reads, if liberty means anything at all, it means the right to tell people what they do not want to hear. That, people, is how you grow. Hearing other people express divergent viewpoints from your own, maybe you'll try to convince them, maybe you won't, but it's always good to have your own thought processes tested. So Kappa, um, I think you're on the wrong page here. I don't think Catherine did anything wrong. And I think if you want to get any Republicans in your sorority, and maybe you don't, you need to rethink your own policies. Catherine, if if they don't, if they're not open to your viewpoints, you should move right along and just find friends on the quad. <laughs> okay, now I want to bring in our guests, uh, Crystal Ball and Sagar and Jetty, co-host Rising on TheHill.com. Their show's getting millions and millions of views, and it's well worth your time. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having us, Megan. Great as always to talk to you. Good to be back, Megan. All right. So let's get uh, overall thoughts on last night. Crystal, let me start with you because we just did a long segment with Eric Bowling, who is uh, a conservative. You are not. Um, what was your what was your takeaway? So if we're giving awards for most improved, Trump definitely won the night. Um, I think this was the type of debate where, look, the energy from the president was radically different from debate one. It was in a lot of ways a very effective performance. And I think, frankly, if he had this kind of tone and affect more often on the campaign trail, he'd be in a much better position right now. But if you look at the reaction after the debate, basically people who like Joe Biden thought Joe Biden won, people who like Trump thought that Trump won. And with Joe up in the polls, that's a fantastic result for him ultimately. So even though I think very little changes coming out of this debate, and we can talk about some more of the specifics, but even though I think very little changes, that is actually a very consequential event because this was one of the last opportunities for President Trump to really change the game here. And he's significantly down and continues to be, I think. I, I like your, your you know, the most improved. It is making me think of the beauty contest Trump used to organize and run. You know, who, who would get Mr. Congeniality? <laughs> <laughs> uh, none of the above, maybe. No. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, no one, no one on that stage last night. No, and let's not even go to the swimsuit competition. Okay, Sagar, what did you think? What was your overall impression of what we saw last night? I thought I really I basically agree. I actually thought it was the best performance that President Trump has had in any of his major presidential debates, including mm-hmm. with Hillary Clinton. But I also thought it was Joe Biden's, frankly, best debate performance of 2020. I mean, he had horrible debates in the in the early primary campaign, even against Bernie Sanders. He did OK, but he was a bit shaky. This one, I mean, near the end, he was beginning to fade, but he got across what he needed to get across. And so when you're 10 points down, like Trump currently is in the state of the national polls and with larger margins of air, with larger margins in the swing states, places like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, you need to return to some of the things that got you that win. And I didn't see enough of that on a policy level and on the critique of Biden that I think he needed to do to really drive this thing home with only like 12 days left until the election. Crystal, why do you think he, you know, A, was talking about his the amnesty he wants to offer, you know, 11 million undocumented immigrants are going to be made um, citizens within the 100 days. And then he was talking about how he's going to basically gut oil and um, really made some statements that could hurt him with some of those swing state voters. Why did he do that? You know, the undocumented immigrant thing was was interesting because he was very specific there in a way that he is often loath to be. Now, I will say, you know, the polling on comprehensive immigration reform is is fairly popular, and this is a position that Democrats have long held. But what I actually read into that, Megan, is um, one of the groups, the group that Joe Biden has underperformed with the most is Latinos um, versus Hillary Clinton's performance back in 2016. Now, if you actually ask Latinos what their top issue is, it's not immigration. It's like everybody else. It's coronavirus and it's jobs and the economy and wages. And yes, immigration comes in there as well. But I think he had some consultant in his ear telling him basically, you know, you need to make this explicit pledge to the Latino community to try to drive up your numbers there. So that was what I made of that. You know, on the oil comment, there's no doubt a place like Texas that's going to get replayed. Obviously, the Trump campaign trying to make a lot of it is inartful in his expression, but it also is consistent with his position, which is that he wants to transition away from fossil fuels over time, not that this is going to happen in any one particular day. Now, what what we've been asking you guys for your moment of the night when you've come on after the last couple of town halls or debates, Sagar, what was your moment of the night? My moment of the night remains this on this Hunter Biden story. It's just I'm agog that the moderator and the media and everybody else is just letting Biden get away with these outright lies. I mean, what he said last night is that Hunter Biden never made any money in China. I mean, that is just false, according to Hunter Biden himself. And it's just unbelievable that there's no follow up from the moderators themselves. There's no actual reportage in so many of the mainstream outlets. I just can't believe that the case is not at least being examined properly by people within the media. And, you know, I got to say, President Trump did not handle it, I think, the way that he should have. He should have pressed him not just on the on the money that he was receiving, but also on whether he met with this Hunter business associate or not, because that's a direct that's a direct and total turnabout for Biden if it is true. 
Well, and we have a little clip on on one of the last exchanges they had of the night that touches on that a bit. Let's listen. Joe, they're calling you a corrupt politician. Nobody's Take President Trump. I want to stay hell. on the issue Excuse of race. Me. We're Take talking about the, the issue from hell. President Trump. We're, we're talking about race right now, and I do want to stay on the issue of race. President Trump, you have dis- to respond to that. Please, because look, very there are 50 former national intelligence folks who said that what this he's accusing me of is a Russian plant. They have said that this is, has all the care. Four, five former heads of the CIA, both parties, say what he's saying is a bunch of garbage. Nobody believes it except the, his and his good so, friend. Rudy so what, what did you make of that? It's just amazing, right? I mean, 50 former national intelligence officials, oh, by the way, many of whom have endorsed Biden, say that it has the, quote, earmarks of Russian disinformation. Well, the director of national intelligence says it's not true. And I don't always trust the intelligence community, but I do trust them to leak something if the director says something that isn't true. And there hasn't been a single leak and not a shred of evidence, nothing to say that this is Russian disinformation. So this is just a Mm -hmm. clear example. The media pushes this fake Russian disinformation narrative. Biden uses it as an excuse. And he's just outright lying. I mean, Hunter Biden has said he would not have had any of these deals if he was not if his last name was not Biden. He admits to holding 10% of a Chinese private equity fund, which was funded by the Chinese government. These are, again, these are outright facts, and he just denies and lies about them. It's amazing that he gets away. It's been funny. I was just mentioning earlier that, you know, originally his position on the the meeting with the number three guy at Burisma that that the Hunter emails suggest did take place uh, was the schedule doesn't show that, which, you know, we all pointed out, well, that doesn't answer the question. You know, like my schedule doesn't show I'm having this conversation with you two right now, but I am. <laughs> um, and then and then he, the, the campaign told Fox News Sunday there was no meeting. But then the next statement to political was, well, they might have been an informal gathering. Like, <laughs> can we just get a straight like, could somebody show some interest so that we could get a straight answer from the campaign on whether the sitting vice president met with the number three executive of this corrupt organization that wound up, you know, pleading to for, to the U.S. to have the prosecutor pulled off their back, which Joe Biden did a year later. Crystal, your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's all um, highly relevant. And look, no one's saying here that the president hasn't been corrupt. We cover corruption from all sides on our show and make sure to do that. But part of the issue here is, too, that the Biden campaign won't answer whether the emails are real. They want to throw on all this, oh, it's Russian disinformation. And I really hate the Russian crap. They use it as an excuse for absolutely everything because they don't want to deal with the underlying issue. Look, the Trump campaign is very excited about this stuff. They thought this would be a game changer. They've clearly seized on it. I don't think that this is going to change anyone's votes when we're in the middle of a pandemic and with the economic situation as it is. So this is no longer really an electoral issue. But if we are going to have a President Joe Biden, the American people deserve to know what are those relationships going to look like? What are those business relationships going to look like? Can they have confidence that he's not going to have a swirl of people around him who are profiting off of his name and off of the presidency? Look, I don't think that what we've seen from Hunter has been illegal, but that does not make it right. And it doesn't make it something that the American people want to accept ultimately. I'm going to start just using that whenever I get in trouble for anything. I say, I'm just going to be like, that's Russian disinformation. I'm just going to keep slapping that against the board, see if it sticks. You know, but you're right, because the the one thing we didn't hear from Joe Biden last night, which would have been so simple and would have answered so much is for him to just say, there is no laptop that belongs to Hunter Biden. My son did not drop off a laptop with this 
repairman in Delaware who we've never met, never heard of. Those emails are not real. That would have gone so far. And people are smart enough to realize there's a reason he didn't say that because it isn't true. We all know it. It, it was the, it was Hunter's. It was his signature. The, the guy has no reason to lie. And the campaign would have long denied it before this point if if they had the basis to do so. All right. But I have to ask you, Crystal, your moment of the night. So there was a moment that to me was very revealing in terms of the difference in how Trump is running this time versus how he ran back in 2016. In 2016, on a lot of issues, he wasn't in line with the Republican orthodoxy, especially on economics. So he bucked conventional wisdom, bucked the Republican line in particular on things like the minimum wage. So the minimum wage, the federal minimum wage came up last night and he was arguing against it, which polar opposite, again, of his position in 2016. Wait, and I thought by. that was pretty remarkable. Hold that tournament. thought. Hold that thought, because I want to get your reaction to what he said. But let's listen to what he said first. Businesses as well as the schools need the help. But this these guys will not help them is not giving them any of the money. We are going to move on to immigration, but I want to get We have to help our small businesses by raising the minimum wage. That's not helping. I think it should be a state option. Alabama is different than New York. New York is different from Vermont. Every state is different. It should be a state option. You said very very important. That sounds like standard issue Mitt Romney type political rhetoric. It could have come out of the mouth of Paul Ryan. And look, you can agree or disagree with that, but it's polar opposite of how we ran back in 2016. And look on the merits. If you ask American citizens, increasing the minimum wage is wildly popular at this point. And minimum wage increases have even passed in deeply red states. That's how popular it is. So I thought it was just a glimpse into how different, how much he's adopted the Republican orthodoxy on economics in particular in a way that has ultimately damaged him in his presidency and in his reelect. The minimum wage thing, I mean, I confess I haven't spent that much time studying it, but I do know that when it gets mandated, like here in New York City, they mandated it for restaurant owners, I think last year. And then um, a bunch of restaurant employees started to get fired. (laughs) And, you know, like the small business owners were like, yeah, that's kind of how it works. We only have a certain amount of revenue coming in. And then I remember there was a push to you could only fire the restaurant owners or the restaurant workers for cause which is you know like not really how life works um you know all these all these at will employees can always be fired for any reason at all so th- those those laws can be problematic for even the people they they are they mean to help but i see your point cuz trump's always been more of a populist Right. And there was a big, you know, in Seattle, they were the first ones who moved for, I think, around the SeaTac airport with a $15 minimum wage. And there was a lot of like, oh, my God, this is going to be the end of everything. And actually, it didn't cause a, a job loss. And we haven't seen that in terms of the research across the country. So, again, there are a lot of ways to feel about the issue. But in terms of the um, positioning of Trump and how he differs this time around from from 20. 20- 16. He's not only saying in that answer, I don't support $15. He's saying, I think it should be a state option altogether, not moving forward. Sounding like Paul Ryan has never been, has never been his goal. Can I ask you about the cages, you guys, the cages exchange? Because the the thing that really had a lot of the Democrats and CNN and MSNBC talking after the debate was the cages and the kids, the 500 plus kids who are now uh, being held without being able to get reunited with their parents. Trump was basically saying, look, their their parents sent them up here with coyotes and, uh, you know, they, they, they're 
they're in cages that were built by the Obama administration. And Biden is basically saying they got separated from their parents and their caregivers thanks to your policies. And it's it's criminal, he said. So what were your thoughts, Sagar? Let me ask you on on that and whether that moved the needle. Well, you know, what's funny to me is it actually connects very much what we were just talking about, which is that you could have given the answer to the no minimum federal mandated minimum wage from a populist perspective, which is what Trump and his administration used to argue, which they could have said, look, with less immigration and competition for American wages, you don't need to mandate a federal minimum wage and you will have tight labor markets, which will lead to higher raise, uh, higher wages for all Americans. And we didn't really hear that. And I think that in general, that's always been a problem for the Trump administration is they have not, what Trump connected with is he connected immigration in 2016 with populist economics. So yes, whenever yes. you strip that away and you make it about you know child separation at the border without any of the populist economic message to underscore that what the core argument of the administration is that we need less immigrants in America to compete for American jobs, ergo increasing American wages and cracking down on corporate welfare, then that's actually a majoritarian economic and political position. But as it was, Trump wasn't returning to that, especially on that issue, on the minimum wage and more. So I see it in a broader context of Trump and immigration, which has just been missing from this entire campaign from him. Yeah, it's been surprising. Build the wall, build the wall. That was like his number one applause line four years ago. And he never hits it now. He never really hits immigration. Um, And it's been such a popular issue for him. But I will say, Crystal, maybe this is why, because the, you know, those suburban soccer moms we've been talking about, they don't like the kids being alone in the cages without the parents, even if they're ticked off that the parents sent the kids up, you know, with or without them with coyotes, which obviously nobody supports. No one thinks that's a good idea, but you don't like the thought of kids not being able to reunite with their parents. No, of course not. And, um, and look, you're right. Uh, if you look at the numbers, the Obama administration deported way more people than the Trump administration has been able to do. There's a variety of reasons for that. Um, And they did, in fact, build those cages. But when you're faced with a statistic about more than 500 children who may never see their parents again, who have been permanently potentially orphaned by the U.S. federal government as a policy of of intentional cruelty, and the answer from the president is, oh, well, they're t- they're being well taken care of. I don't think that that's sufficient for really mm-hmm. anyone. That was not his best moment. I mean, honestly, it's like even I think Trump supporters are looking at that like, well, that what that can't be the plan that they're just going to be, quote unquote, well taken care of in the cages for the rest of their lives. And I, I realize Trump didn't create that problem. They they came and they needed to be dealt with. And his in his effort to crack down on this problem, he started separating the families. But something satisfactory is going to have to happen there because I know, I know that issue tugs at the heartstrings. And um, I just, I thought that was one missed opportunity for both of them. All right. So now here we are. um, I don't know how many days now, less than almost about two weeks out. Let me, let me exit question to you both, whether, what, what, what percentage chance you give Trump to win at this point, Sagar? I think Trump has probably got about a 15% chance of winning. Uh, And I know that's low. I think it, I think it's low, but look, I think that his core strengths, like we were just talking about on immigration, on economics, he failed to deliver on a stimulus package. Now, look, we got 12 days to go, but we all know, Megan, you know, Nancy Pelosi and Stephen Nushin have to come to a deal. Then you got three days in the House and then the Senate has 30 hours of floor time. The, the odds of a large stimulus package 
passing before the election are dwindling to the day. And actually, it's a failure that we don't even have a stimulus already, that we didn't pass one again and again and again over the last several months. These are the things I think could have won Trump re-election, taking coronavirus more seriously in March. And even with that, passing large stimulus packages in April, May, and June, corralling the Republican majority and making them go against their, the Republican Senate majority and making them go against their more deficit hawkery instincts, which again, he ran against in 2016. By cu- basically right. of, of all their- times to stop his spending instincts. I know, <laughs> I know. I know. It's, it's, it's crazy to me. I mean, he basically buckled to them at a worst possible. T- I said this on your podcast before, he became a true Republican at the worst possible moment for his presidency. <laughs> and I do not think that bodes well for his election chances. What do you think, Crystal? How do you give Trump percentage chance of winning? Uh, I give him about a 10% chance, I think. And I'll play devil's advocate here, though. Um, Look, at this point, the polls would have to be a lot more wrong than they were last time around. You'd have to have a really pretty wild polling error for him to be able to pull this off. And there are dwindling opportunities for him to change the game. 50 million plus people have already voted. And this race has frankly been remarkably stable for months and months and months in spite of wild swings and what is happening in our country. But okay, wait, but can I ask you before you get to the book? Because I I mentioned this before you came on. At this point in 2016, Hillary was up more than Joe Biden is up right now over Donald Trump in states like Florida, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, North Carolina, and Ohio. So why, why so certain that you know, he's done. Well, one of the differences has been that Biden has been consistently over 50. Um, It's been very stable. And certainly the national polling average, he's a lot further up than Hillary was at this point. I mean, 10 points, uh, 10 point national average at the Real Clear Politics average is a lot more than she was able to achieve at this point. But to play devil's advocate, look, if you were ever going to have a wild polling swing and just have, you know, because by uncertainty, caused by, look, people are voting in a way they've never voted before through a method that they haven't used before. The turnout model, if it's a little off and then you have more Democratic ballots coming in mail and getting tossed out because they didn't weren't done properly, like that is in the realm of possibility. Do I think it's likely? No. Is it possible? Sure. It's still possible. And last time around, 11 days before the vote, Comey came out saying they'd found more Hillary hidden documents on Anthony Weiner's laptop that he shared with his wife, Uma Abedin. And that was, I mean, basically what we're seeing is back in 16 and 2020, we've had a laptop from hell. We've had, as Trump put it last night, that is what winds up making an appearance in the final moments of every campaign. The laptop from hell. Just don't buy one. Just stick with your iPhone. And if it breaks, you just throw it away, people. You don't need to get it repaired. (laughs) You guys, great to talk to you as always. Thanks, Megan. Great to talk to you, Megan. Be well. (laughs) My sister and I were just going through this. My sister, Abby. I had this like uh, Mac that was just kind of, it died. It just died. And uh, she was like, well, you know, we can wipe it and we can donate. I'm like, oh, that sounds nice. And honestly, after this whole Hunter Biden thing, we were like, maybe we'll just smash it. We'll just smash it. Not that I have anything on there of interest whatsoever. I mean, I'm smart enough at this point in my career not to take naked photos of myself. Not really because I think you're going to find them, but because I've had three kids and there's really no reason for anyone to see that. 
Um, but I think we're going to wind up smashing just, just to be on the safe side. Listen, I want to thank all my guests today. So good to reconnect with Eric Bowling, who I just love as a friend. And Crystal and Sagar are always, aren't they interesting? They just, they're young and they come at these issues from a different point, from a different entry point. You always learn from them. I also want to tell you that today's episode was brought to you in part by Pure Talk USA. Get unlimited talk, text, plus two gigs of data for just 20 bucks a month. Dial pound 250 and say Megan Kelly for an additional 50% off your first month. That is a great deal. Listen, thank you so much for tuning in to us today. Go ahead and subscribe to the show, download the show, rate the show and review the show. Super fun reconnecting with everybody. I am still reading them and I love, love, love hearing from you. If you've got thoughts for the show, you can also email them to questions at devilmaycaremedia.com. And don't forget to tune in next week when, among others, we're going to have Piers Morgan. Thanks for being with us, everybody. Thanks for listening to The Megan Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. The Megan Kelly Show is a Devil May Care media production in collaboration with Red Seat Ventures.